So why do we sing hymns? Why do we sing hymns at this church? I mean, other places have uh, guitars and drums and do what is called contemporary Christian music. Or in other places, gospel music. There's lots of different styles out there. Why do we do hymns? Good question. And that's what I would like to answer in today as we continue in our series of why do we do this, examining all the things that we do here in this church and asking why. And I want to say right from the start, I am not opposed to that contemporary model of Christian worship. Not at all. Uh, from I, I love that style of worship. I have benefited from it. And on occasion, I've brought my own guitar to this very church and led us in a song or two on special occasions. So I'm not here to point fingers and say, oh, the other side is wrong. I'm saying, no, there's just examining the reason why we do it the way we do it here. Because there are a few reasons why that's not the primary way that we worship here at this congregation. And first, by way of reminder, I want to kind of remind us that any true message on worship wouldn't be complete without mentioning that worship is far more than just singing. Um, Hymns, contemporary music, gospel music, that all falls under the category of praise, praising God. And praising God falls under the category of worship, if that makes sense to you guys. Um, So worship includes all kinds of other things. It includes obedience, reverence, Uh, repentance, Bible reading, praying, all sorts of things like that. That all falls under the category of worship. Praise is just a component of that. Uh, So it's really all the things that we read from 1 Corinthians or 1 Chronicles, our reading this morning in Psalm 100. Um, So it's many things. Choosing not to engage in sin, for instance, is an act of worship as we elevate choosing our Father and His laws and His ways above the sinful desires of the flesh. And so that is an act of worship. It might even be more of an act of worship than singing hymns. I mean, that's really the fruit of the Spirit being expressed. So we get the picture. If I were to draw a graph We'd have worship in the middle with a big circle around it. And off to this side, we have obedience, reverence, uh, all kinds of uh, Bible reading, prayer. And over here, we'd have praise. And an offshoot of that is hymns, contemporary music, gospel music, Christian rap, whatever it is. That all falls under that category. Just so we get the full picture. But singing and praise as a whole is such a gift to God's people, isn't it? I mean, I love how Martin Luther famously said that next to the word of God itself, music deserves the highest praise. For whether you wish to comfort the sad, to terrify the happy, to encourage the despairing, to humble the proud, to calm the passionate, or to appease those full of hate, What more effective means than music could you find? I love that quote. How true is that? 
And so it's this gift of music, God's gift to his people, that we're going to be zeroing in on today. And specifically why we have chosen hymns. So hymns are designed to be sung together as a church. Um, As a congregation without a single person up front being exalted doing that singing. You might notice after I say, let us stand and sing a particular hymn, nobody comes up to the microphone. It's because nobody is leading us in that regard. We are all singing it together as equals. Even our organist, whether it be Phyllis or Arvid, you know, they're up here and they're facing away from you guys. Have you ever noticed that? They're facing away very purposefully because they're, Phyllis isn't performing for you guys. She is merely providing accompaniment, musical accompaniment for us to sing together. You know, we uh, at the Walk to Bethlehem event, when we visited various churches in this area, you know, I was particularly impressed to see another church really run with this idea, where not only did they have the organist facing away from the congregation, they had it in the back balcony, and still facing in the opposite direction. I mean, really putting the exclamation point that this is not a performance. Don't even... I mean, it's like, where's Waldo with the organist? Where are they? You know, it's hard to, they purposely made it hard to find to make it a visible expression that the attention needs to be on God, not the performer, whether it be in terms of a vocalist or an instrumentalist. The focus was on God. And one of the cons of the contemporary side is that you usually see the opposite of that where the band, the artist, uh, the singer is usually facing the congregation, usually has a microphone, and often in many other churches, they are actually even up on the stage. Interesting. Now, whether or not it's their intention, and I don't believe it is in 90% of the cases, but it sure looks like a performance. And it's often treated as a performance when it's done that way, where people look on and passively watch to see what the performer is doing, rather than viewing themselves as part of the choir as we're all singing together. Where if you notice when we have a few more people in here and we're all singing together, you notice it. You notice it when we're all singing together. It's got a nice thunderous bass in this room. But... It sounds the same whether everyone's singing along or whether one person is singing when it's all channeled through one microphone. And so, it should be said that people get passive with hymns too. I mean, let's, let's not pretend. People open up these hymnals and are singing along with us and just aren't engaging. You know, just kind of going through the motions, not really singing along or adding to it. That's a real thing. And for people who aren't used to this more formal way of doing things, especially if you don't know how to read music, these hymns can, we can lose you. I mean, I wasn't, you know, bless my mom and my grandmother for trying. I never got into classical music. So that was an obstacle I had to overcome. I more easily will get drawn to a rock song or something like that. So 
it, there is a disadvantage to it. And if nobody is singing, the, the experience can feel cold, dead even, when nobody's singing. If we choose a hymn that nobody knows and we're all just kind of sitting in silence, kind of looking at each other, that can happen. But what people don't talk about is that even on the contemporary side, the worship can be cold, dead, and empty, even if there's a full rock band in the front playing really loud. The volume just hides it. It just hides the fact that nobody's singing that much better. So there's a point to that. So technically, it's easier to recognize a problem in a smaller room. But if you get nothing else from this message, please hear this. It's that it's all about the heart, not the method. I just want to remind us of that up front because passionate worship and passive indifference take place on both sides of this discussion. I'm not trying to say one is better than the other. Ooh, and now one objection I almost forgot to mention is it could easily be asked, well, what about you, pastor? I mean, you're talking about having a microphone and being up on stage and what are you literally doing right now? I'm up in front facing you guys with a microphone. What gives? That's a great objection. And I'm going to address that when I cover sermons one of these days in this series. But here's what I can address right now. My desire is to elevate the word of God to you guys, not myself. My, my main job is to proclaim the message of the scriptures, not, my, not show you guys how awesome I am and proclaim my personality. So that I, that, that I can say with confidence. If anyone leaves here thinking about John Motley, I have failed you. The one person I want to connect you with is Jesus Christ. And by the way, interestingly enough, that's also why a lot of classic churches like this one have the high ceilings. Because it's kind of hard for me to boast in my large personality when... I'm in kind of a large room right now. I seem kind of small by comparison. It's meant to purposely give a feeling of how small we are by comparison to the enormity of God and naturally lift our gaze upwards, which is missing in a lot of, you know, some of the more modern uh, low-ceiling churches. And again, am I against that? No, but that's just why we do the things we do here. It's why we've made our purposeful choices. You know, especially a lot of these new churches that are popping up in storefronts, you know, God bless them for having whatever they have. They're just happy to be out of their, their founding pastor's apartment in many cases. So glory to God for all of it. So Really, my heart is, let's do some of this contemporary stuff on occasion. It's not the norm, and we do it on purpose that way, but it's not bad. You know, let's get Santos back here one of these days. Let's do a, a Christian concert in this front lawn when the, when the weather gets better this spring. Help me to persuade Arvid to come up here and do more solos. <laughs> We'd love to have you. <laughs> It's, it, it's so beautiful, it's so emotional, and it really touches the strings of the heart when you perform in a good way. Because our, our emotions ought to be touched as we worship God, right, church? 
And my goodness, it hits, it hits home when he sings. However, that leads me to my next point, that there's a lesson that many people need to learn, that worship and praise is different than just having emotional experiences in the context of a church. You know, I'll, uh, I was fortunate to learn this lesson in my youth, and I certainly hope our youth today are listening in somewhere. Because, you know, this was something I had to learn, and I had to learn it the hard way. Um, when I first experienced Christian contemporary music, it was a just an overwhelming emotional experience for me. Hearing, like, loud rock music set to Jesus Christ, I mean, ooh, that was a dream come true for me. You know, that, that's what ministered to my own proclivities. And um, I still say there's nothing wrong with it, but I had an early encounter that made me question everything. Because as I'm caught up in all of this highly emotional music, I, I go to this secular rock concert. And a band that I've seen many times in my youth, and as they're playing one of their ballads, I'm realizing something. I'm feeling the same things in my heart that I felt at church. And I realize, oh, what I've been experiencing isn't, is intense emotion. It's not necessarily worship. You see what I'm saying? That because I can glorify God and not feel these high lofty butterfly-like emotions. And I can get really emotional even in church. And it's not actually worship. It's just feeling something. And, And should it move our emotions when we contemplate God's Greatness, his goodness, his grace. Yes, it should move us, but it's just a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole picture. Because worship is not the pursuit of some all-consuming emotional high. It's about the glory of God and being focused on him. And that elevating our emotions, our intellect, our everything. It's not just the emotions, it's a whole person experience. And it looks differently. It, it, does, it, it isn't just pure happiness and bliss. It's, it, it's also brokenness and repentance. That's an act of worship. That's just as godly as everything else you can feel. Other times it looks like Diligently seeking the scriptures, looking to understand God better. Other times it's just brokenness over our sins or over something that's happened to us and just turning to God and just nodding along in agreement as we sing, even so it is well with my soul. Those moments, that's worship. That's praise. That's glorious in God's eyes. And speaking of which, what should we sing about? Well, this should be obvious, right? Uh, God. (laughs) But, (laughs) and when gathered together for a worship service, we should, we ought to sing to exalt the name of our God and glorify him. And my most passionate worship takes place when I'm, when I'm not thinking about myself. 
or my feelings or my own testimony, but just I'm focused on who God is. That's when the best praise comes forth, when I'm just completely captured by who he is. And songs of ours like Immortal Invisible and How Great Thou Art are basically just listing off the the traits and characters of God, the things he has done, his accomplishments. And when we're focused on that, it's like, wow, God, you are great. And it gives us this feeling of awesome, of just awesomeness of God. And so as much as is possible, we should be focused on God in our hymns and in our choices. Rather than ourselves or our own feelings unto themselves. Let me hit this from another, from another angle. Like an exception would be a familiar hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love. You ever think about the lyrics of that song? It's mostly about us. How, you know, we'll work together, we'll work by our side. It's about our unity. And so if taken out of context, it sounds like we're just kind of giving ourselves a pat on the back for how good we are. Which is why I save that song for times where we're doing a, a sermon that is about how we're all one in Christ and how our unity is found in him. And then we'll do that song because the context makes it so clear. That's what we're talking about. I'm, I'm careful with, uh, with stuff like that. Right? Because it's, 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 it's about Jesus, because we want it to be clear that it's Jesus Christ getting the glory rather than, again, giving ourselves that pat on the back there. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing for me to comment on a hymn like that, but it's, it's true because it's not about our feelings, God forbid our politics, God forbid our agendas. The vision should be about Jesus Christ, which is why I stand so opposed to the denomination adopting a song that is about, of all things, climate change. You guys have heard me rant about this in the past. Uh, I mean, whether or not you agree with the political agenda behind the climate change movement, by definition, that has no place in a church. Amen. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Mary. No, I, and I agree. <laughs> By definition, and it stands no place here. And even if it wasn't dancing on the line of blasphemy for worshiping the creation instead of the creator, it still has no place. But I'm getting off of that because I, 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 I won't come back from that tangent. And moving on, and this is something that we ought to be prone by, because here I am talking about how great hymns are and how it's all pros and no cons. Well, here's, here's one thing we should consider. We ought to be careful not to treat the hymnal in the same way we treat the Bible, especially our hymnal. Because this Bible, it's complete. There's not going to be new books of the Bible found or integrated into Scripture. All that stuff that you hear about on the History Channel is nonsense, and every biblical scholar who actually knows what they're talking about knows that. But... The songbook of the church is still very much being written. Just because this book was printed and given a back cover doesn't mean that songs aren't giving, aren't still being written that exalt God and can be used in wonderful, wonderful ways. Especially since ours was printed 
This red one was printed in 86. So we've missed some good ones in the last number of years. We've missed hymns like, His mercy is more, All I have is Christ, Behold our God, and In Christ alone. Those are all wonderful, Christ-exalting hymns that have been written since then. And we ought to be open to integrate these things into our church and into our worship. And that's a great question for us to consider moving forward, how, what mechanism we can use to bring those into our fold. But not all modern hymnals are going to have these modern classics. Just because we get a brand new one doesn't mean we're going to get all of this good stuff. Frankly, this very denomination we're a part of debated having that last hymn I talked about, In Christ Alone, into their Presbyterian hymnal and decided against it. Their objection was a lyric that says, On the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And they said they didn't like this idea of God being satisfied by pouring out his wrath on on Jesus because that made God sound mean, was their objection. And yeah, I could see how a Sunday school student could get confused by that. But my goodness, you teach this child what the truth of that verse means. It's that verse, that line is about the gospel itself. You have to be clear about that. I mean, what is the gospel? It's that we have offended God through our sins. The penalty of our sins is death. And someone needed to be punished for our offense in order to satisfy God's justice. So on the cross, Jesus took that wrath for us so that we don't have to pay that penalty ourselves Because we can't. We can't pay an eternal debt as temporary creatures. Thus, it puts us in a bad place. So instead, Jesus went to the cross, satisfying the requirements of the law for us. Doesn't that sound like that lyric? On the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. I can It's concerning to me the reasons why that hymn would be rejected. Because it brings to mind how God spoke to the prophet Samuel. And when the people of Israel were rebelling against God's design for Israel, and they they wanted a king, but God said, "No, I'm your king." And the prophet Samuel was trying to, trying to correct the people, trying to keep them on the path of God's plan. And the people rejected it. God told Samuel after his lament, he said, Samuel, they have not rejected you. They've rejected me. And that's my concern. What concerns me is that the way they worded their objection, it's not, they're not rejecting a hymn. They're rejecting the gospel itself. That's concerning to me. That's a much bigger problem. But getting back real quick to my main point, I've already gone past my time, but there are many reasons why we have stuck to this hymn model today. Uh, Because when we stand together and sing, 
when we unite our voices in singing together, operating as that one body that we've been talking about, how we're designed to be, not elevating one person above anybody else, that we're all singing in, in, to glorify Christ together. It's a beautiful thing. There's less distractions as we exalt Christ. And we acknowledge that this is only why we do it this way here. There's a reason this sermon isn't a straightforward hymns versus contemporary, because I could just as easily do a sermon on why contemporary has its place in the body of Christ. It, 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 my goal isn't to point fingers at them. So here's the point I want us to land on today. It's not about old versus new. It's not about organs versus guitars. It's not even about hymns versus contemporary. It's about being laser focused on who we worship and who gets the glory. Can I get an amen to that today, church? Thanks be to God. Amen.